Coming up today on episode 12 of the Elevate 02 podcast, Money Mitch is back, but he's stuck in Montana. We get the story on his travel woes. Then we hear about some even worse travel woes from Judd Brackett, the director of amateur scouting of the Minnesota Wild, who stops by to share his horror stories from a trip to Slovenia, and we get his itinerary for the now-postponed World Juniors. Speaking of World Juniors, what exactly are these players missing out on now? We'll get all of that and more in today's episode number 12 of the Elevate 02 podcast. This is the Elevate 02 podcast, brought to you by Money Mitch, the podcast bringing you inside the world of hockey. From on the ice to inside the front office, we bring you places you've never been before. Now, here are your hosts, Tori Mitchell, Jonathan Bates, Brian Strait, and Brady Farkas. What's up, everybody? Episode number 12 of the Elevate 02 podcast. Let us be the last at this point to wish you Happy New Year. I've changed my name for the YouTube crowd. I'm now Lord Farquaad. I want to make that happen instead of Farky. So uh, in 2022, my resolution is to be called Lord Farquaad on this podcast. So Dumb. I'm here. Batesy's here. Straighter's here. And because we did this in episode 11, we made fun of Batesy for missing parts of episode 10. We're going to do the same thing to Mitch. Wait, is that money Mitch back with us? What, what, where have you been? You've ghosted us for like a week and a half. What has happened? Off the grid. Yeah. Off the grid in Montana, buddy. That's where I've been. Why are you in Montana, and why are you still in Montana after the holidays? He's working John Dutton's John ranch. Uh, and then yesterday, we were, we were supposed to fly home yesterday, but uh, old COVID, uh, I think, hit some of the, the uh, flight attendants, and that, for some reason, there was no fuel for a bunch of the planes. So they told me to come back in two days. So tomorrow, we're going to attend. That's happening for, for guys that fly private? That They got hit by the COVID? <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. couldn't believe it. I, my my private uh, plane was grounded. Doesn't sound like Will's up to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, no. Those days are uh, never happened. First of all, but boy, do I miss those uh, those days in the National League. You ever uh, you ever been on one of those planes, Batesy? You have. I actually. have. Yeah. I mean, have. I have. Yeah. I've been a few times, and man, it like nice. it's flying charters in private is that's. Yeah. That you you feel important, and I we all know solved, on this podcast I am not important. Like I am not important. <laughs> it it oh, feels God. good cutting into that Morton steak when you get fifteen. Uh, oh. Maybe wheels up, maybe not. Maybe before the, first, the wheels go up. It's the nice. first time, like not to not to go off on a tangent, but that's what we do. Like the first time I ever went, they asked me what kind of water I drink. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, like mm-hmm. do you, you know, like, what kind of water? I was like, well, and I said, I was like just tap and they kind of were like well we have evian we have fiji we have smart water i'm like like whatever you got cool man it's cool big leagues (laughs) i rode first class once not even close it doesn't (laughs) even compare you know the worst part about flying the charter is there would always be a big pile up of people in the middle of the plane where the sushi platter was so Mm. that was always an issue always an issue (laughs) those appetizers always got in the way the struggle is real. The struggle, the struggle is, is real. real. Oh, but I'm stuck you, in Montana right now, man. Yeah. Are you tough enough to be a Montana guy? No. <laughs> no. Not I'm a way, chance. way, way out of my element right now. But I helped my brother-in-law in the backyard rank a little bit the other day, which, you know, wasn't very Montana of me, but I had a shovel in my hands. How many? So, Mitch, <laughs> so, like, how many phone calls to Big Steve then? Because he's, like, he ran the backyard rink at the Mitchell House. Yeah, he ran the old ranch back, back in back in the city. Uh, <laughs> he's, well, there was a little mix-up because one of the days it snowed a ton, and then the next morning 
It was super cold, but the sun was shining down on the snow that hadn't been shoveled. Big mm. Steve would not have enjoyed that. But uh, <laughs> luckily, my brother-in-law salvaged the ice, and we were skating last night, actually, when uh, when the flight got canceled. So pretty pretty amazing views when you get on that backyard rink. That It's more than a backyard rink that he, that he has. They, they got a beautiful property, and the, the freaking Rockies in the background is insane. The YouTube yeah. crew can see Strader's hat. For those of you that are listening on Spotify or Apple, I can, I'll can i just tell you, Strader's wearing one of those fancy hats that you see like a uh, a chauffeur wearing where it's the, the top hat with like the very tiny bill. I can't tell if you look like a music producer it's with a these headphones cap. on. It's a skelly cap. That's Boston. all it is. It's all <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah. I feel like yeah. you should be wearing a pea coat and you should be about 65 no, years old with a mustache. I get that in the closet for later. Um <laughs> It's it, it's you know just very customary to have one if you're from Boston you have to have one okay it's, it's like so yeah, I got a whole a closet right of full of them. <laughs> Fact. I'm not I'm not cool. And I'm I went cool with the black enough. chauffeur one. Okay, I'm sorry, Lord Farquaad today. But, uh, <laughs> I know you're trying to make fun of me of, with my scally cap. Today. You can pull it off. You look man. great. You can pull. Thanks. You can. You yeah. do look great. You look. It best looks better when I have a full beard. You know. True. Farky, what hat you got going on there? Baseball. I got a Vermont Expos hat. Yeah. Baseball, oh, minor league. Oh, now defunct yeah, yeah. minor league team. You were wearing a Montreal Expos hat the other day. I saw a post on Instagram. Are you a baseball guy or is that just like, hey, I'm from Montreal. Here's a fashion sense. I went to about 10 to 15 games a year when the Expos were in Montreal. My dad was a huge, my dad is a huge baseball guy. Actually collects baseball cards still to the day. So he <laughs> took me, he took me and my brother probably 10, 10, 15 games per summer. And every fun fact, every Sunday, if they had a during the summer, so during those 12 weekends, uh, if they had an afternoon game, you could go down to the field after and take pictures. They line the players up on the third baseline and the first baseline. You could go through and take pictures with each player. I have pictures with some legends, obviously guys that ended up getting traded because Montreal yeah. couldn't afford them. But I have Pedro Martinez, John Wetland, Vladdy Guerrero, uh, Jose Pedro, uh, I mean, Larry John. Walker, I mean, so one one fan one fan per player, right? <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. basically how it works. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you had to show your like Quebec uh, resident or a driver's license or residence card to be able to go down the field. So if it was a game against like the Yankees or the Mets or Red Sox, and there were thirty five thousand Red Sox fans at the game and five thousand Expos fans, they weren't allowed down on the field after. <laughs> so literally, you'd be down That's there great. with like a thousand people with every player, just like, "Are you fucking kidding me right now? Get <laughs> me so out of cool. here!" Yeah. Were you throwing O. Henry Canry, uh, candy bars out on the uh, oh, yeah. Olympic Stadium? Yeah. There you go for Henry Rodriguez back in the when, day when, when he when he went on his run, his home run run. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh Henry, number forty, yeah. I think he was Henry Rodriguez. I could I could go toe to toe all day with you on old Expos players, but we do have. Could you? Yes. Okay. Delano I mean, I don't know, like Delano De Shields. Yes, he also played for the Dodgers. Like I could, and his son played for the Rangers <laughs> and the Indians. I could go all day with this with baseball with you, and I don't think that's what the audience wants to hear hockey, about. But hockey show, sure, sure yeah. as shit is not what Strader and I want to hear. No, no. <laughs> we're I've gonna have a couple great... of games uh, at the old Expo Stadium. There, what is it? The Olympic Stadium. Olympic yeah. Stadium. It's a the, dungeon. The, maybe closest to the drunkest guy I've ever seen in my life was at Olympic Stadium. They were playing the Cardinals back in the day, and JD Drew was on the Cardinals, and this guy was so hammered. He's just screaming, "I love you, JD!" the entire game. The entire right, game. Clearly, obviously, not an Expos fan. There you go. No. 
not an expert. All right, fan. Let's, let's talk hockey. Let's talk hockey. Okay. Judd Brackett is going to stop by the show. He is the director of amateur scouting for the Minnesota Wild. We were going to play him in episode 11, but as I told you in that episode, it kind of our plans got derailed. So we've already spoken to Judd. He was awesome. You guys are not going to want to miss this and some of his stories. And it was very convenient that uh, last Wednesday when we released the episode, we talked a lot about Strader's time at the World Juniors. About four hours later, the tournament got postponed. Canceled, postponed. Maybe they can make it happen in the summer they're talking about, but it's very, very early in that. But nonetheless, the tournament is not happening now as it's supposed to. So I'm just going to say this and then get out of the way and let you guys go on it. I don't feel bad for the sponsors. I don't feel bad for the television networks. I don't feel bad for most of the fans even. I feel bad solely for the players who are missing out on this opportunity because for some of them, this was probably going to be the pinnacle of their hockey career. They're not all going to win a Stanley Cup. They're not all going to get to the league. They're not all going to play in the Olympics. For some of them, this was going to be the pinnacle of their career, and I feel awful for them. Strader is a guy who played in it. What are these kids missing out on? I think you can just rerun what we talked about with the Olympics, right? And and um, there's been a few players that have been outspoken about you know, missing out on this year's Olympics, right? NHL players, very similar in this situation with world juniors. Like you said, there's a lot of these guys that might not have great professional careers and this might be the pinnacle of their career. And honestly, to have the rug ripped out from under you like they have in this situation is, is crazy to me. I mean, it would have been way better off if they had just canceled the tournament prior to getting everybody out there and knowing that this was obviously going to happen, somebody was like, "What? What our world is going through right now? Somebody's going to test positive, and this is if this is the stance you're going to take of you know a couple guys test positive, six guys on each team are just going to cancel it. You should have known this was going to happen. I'm not going to like let's mm. not sugarcoat it. Like it's mm-hmm. happening everywhere. So if that was the stance you're going to take, you shouldn't have had the thing happen anyways. I'm no doctor. I'm no politician. I don't care to get into an argument about COVID or whatever, but we've been dealing with this for almost two years. Shouldn't there have been some kind of protocol in place to try to mitigate this as much as possible? Exactly. Enter enter the bubble 15 days beforehand, something. I mean, we've had enough practice at this that you could have taken a better route than just treating it as business as usual, right? It just sucks, you know, and it and it it, it is more than the players. Is you got Batesy and Strader know how important it is for Canadians that tournament. Everyone on the twenty sixth of December gathers around their TV. I'd say 75 percent of the country. Even even my grandmother knows Boxing Day in Canada, World Juniors, Team Canada is playing against whoever. Um, it's just a family thing. It's it's part right the day after Christmas. You sit down, you watch Team Canada play the the U twenties, and it's it's great. It's part of the country. So the fans are definitely disappointed and affected by it. The players, a hundred percent. You guys are both right. It's terrible. They might you know it, for a lot of guys, it's the pinnacle of their careers. But the fans, at least in Canada, for sure. I'm sure, I assume in Russia and parts of the U.S. too, the big hockey fans in the U.S. It's mm-hmm. it's it sucks, you know. And and for for Americans, it's you know they're they're on a run. Like they've won the last two or three years. Is it now? I mean, so much momentum with hockey in the U.S. And now it's yeah, it's just crushing. It sucks. It's bad for the game. Um, and you know, it's just too bad. But you know, Batesy can can talk more on it. But it's heartbreaking, right? Like we yeah. said it last week. Everybody loses. There is zero winners here. You know, Everyone's been affected by this. The other group of, of individuals that we should be talking just as much about is 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 the women, right? Like, did you mm-hmm. guys see like that women's cancellation of the, the by the IIHF? 
you got to be kidding me, you know? And to your point, Farky, like, geez, like, why can't we figure out a way to make this happen in a bubble, do mm-hmm. some sort of, you know, um, uh, mandatory two-week quarantine ahead of time, whatever it is, like, but, man, nobody wins. Nobody wins. Everybody loses. And I'm not, I, I always look back at, like, who also is kind of, like, voicing their opinion. And I actually think Bob McKenzie said it best uh, the other day or, or whenever it was, like, he said, like, to your point, like what you said a minute ago, like you're no politician or doctor. None of us are. Right. Um, you know, I think we all are in agreement that you can only do so much and, and stay in your lane, control what you can control. But like, you know, there's there so many different sides and so many mitigating factors that are that are limiting the ability to, to work in a cohesive environment and, and you know, field field a competition, field a game. You don't really know what what to believe or who to believe these days, but you know I'm running off here. But I, I just feel like the kids the kids lose. It really it sucks for them. It really yeah. does. Batesy redirect something at you. I don't sure. feel bad for scouts in this regard. Like the scouts have enough film, they have enough chances to go see players around the world. Like I don't think they needed this tournament mm-hmm. to discover that someone's good or not good. But for some of the players, especially in and players on foreign rosters. How much do they miss out from not getting this exposure? I understand your question, and I, I think it's a fair statement to say. However, yeah, the scouts have opportunity to see players around the globe, but but not right now they don't. I mean, we just heard about Mitch's troubles getting home from Montana, you know, like flight cancellations because of COVID outbreak, right? Like you talk to guys who are trying to get to Europe, home from Europe, uh, there's, there's border restrictions left, right, and center. I mean, wait till later on, like Judd Brackett's, we have a great conversation with him. He, you know, he and I were, were talking about his trip to the World Junior. We'll, sh- we'll share his itinerary and what a hectic schedule that was for him. Um, so no, like, reality is, is like, yeah, they can watch game on video, but it's the eye test, which Strader and I can talk about all, all the time, right? Like, in my opinion, when you watch game on film, um, for sure, like, you validate what you see with your eyes when you're in the rink. So I'll start with that, and then, and then secondly, for the kids. There are regional scouts all over the world, right? We talk about that. Um, and, and so guys that are maybe from Sweden, they have every team has a, one or two Swedish scouts that, you know, pound the table and say, hey, like Joe Schmo from from Sheleftia is a, a really good prospect. You guys need to see him. Your crossover scouts need to see him, whatever. That is important, but those opportunities now are few and far between. So I don't necessarily agree with, with that question um, in that you can sort of see – players sort of you know as you please now because the reality is you can't and the reality is is the last couple of years you couldn't and that really limits your ability as a player in you know at age 17 18 19 to be scouted um so every game you got to be at at your best um i think that's really important to to make known the ihf like they've had a tough couple weeks here okay first it started with canceling um the women's tournament u18 tournament and then this, which makes them look like they had zero idea, you know, almost like they had no plan whatsoever going into this this World Junior Tournament. Like, where do you go from here? Do they lose? Like, I almost feel like it, it sucks because you cancel a tournament. And for Americans, we're just like you talked about, Mitch. We're just starting to build some some steam with this whole thing with World Junior. And then you shut it down and we might lose interest and they might have lost an audience here, the IHF, like, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but that's where I'm the most upset. It would have been better off had they made some kind of concrete decisions prior to going 
into the into Alberta and just hey, we'll see how it plays out. Well, I'm just confused as to how you know we're still going to be playing college hockey and we're still going to be playing CHL hockey in Canada, but then the World Juniors get can gets canceled. I'm like, yeah. what? Explain that one to me. You can't. It's COVID. Like it just doesn't. There's nothing that makes sense. Yeah. You know, decisions are, are being made, and you're like, all right, like. I'm sitting here, you know, scratching my head. Like, we're still supposed to be playing college hockey. We're still supposed to be playing a CHL schedule, but you're going to cancel the U20 tournament, U18 women tournament, like women's tournament. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. Anyways, that's where I'm at with it. You know, we can we can go back and forth on this a thousand times. Yeah. My best guess on that, Mitch, is, and again, this is just a, my best guess, is that you, because you in some of these leagues you're talking about, in Canada or in the NHL, these players are staying in these locations. So the spread of the virus isn't going worldwide as a result. When they're talking about bringing all these teams in from all over the world, I think they're afraid of it spreading and then it going back to these home countries. That is, again, just my mm. best guess. Um, Strader's international career is well-documented and well-talked about. Mitch, it's said that making Team Canada's Olympic team is the hardest team in the world to make. I'm curious, what was it like growing up looking at national teams and did you ever try to make Canadian national teams growing up? Every kid tries. Um, <laughs> I tried. Know, I tried. Yeah, I, for sure. I was unsuccessful. Sorry guys. You go to I the select camps back in the day there, you know, <laughs> well, you, basically didn't you go to the, one of those like select cause you were Florida. Like you made that select. Yeah. Yeah. Teams or whatever yeah. you used to have there. Yeah. But um, no, yeah. Farky, of course. Like that's your dream. You want to play. Thanks for pumping my tires, buddy. Appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I think, well, I mean, it was like, you guys lost every game 12, nothing, but, uh, <laughs> you and team, team Maryland or whatever it was there, but uh, Canada didn't have like, I, I think they had like a U 17 team Quebec, um, that I wasn't close. I would have been probably the second or third team. Um, they just had, it's, it's structured a little differently. Obviously they don't have a national program in Canada like they do in mm -hmm. Finland and, and U S and, you know, there's such a big pool of players to like limit them and bring them, not limit them, but like, you know, grab the best players for one team. I mean, you could realistically make five or six teams, you know, Easily. have five or six national programs. So that's why they haven't gone that direction yet, which I think they will eventually, seeing the success that the Americans are having and Finland being such a small uh, group of players that they pick from and how well they've done. But no, I didn't I didn't stand a chance to make any of those teams. Um, my only national team experience came at the end of my career, which was not Mickey Mouse. They treat you like Olympians, but the Spengler Cup, which, which is in Davos, Switzerland, um, they picked the best Canadians playing in Europe um, or the Swiss League. And you get to play for Team Canada, and they treat you like Olympians. It's Hockey Canada. All the big name GMs and coaches are all NHL, former NHL players. So that was a really cool experience. That's my only experience with it. Um, I was a 1985 birth year, and Strader and Bates, Batesy for sure knows that 1985 birth year Team Canada was probably the best Canadian under 20 team ever. That's why I wasn't drafted that year. The like three draft was the best ever. The best ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're, looking at, you're looking at, uh, you know, Crosby. The centers were Crosby, Bergeron. You had Getzlaff. You had Perry, Shea Weber. I mean, Jeff it was Carter. just uh, Jeff Carter. I mean, mm -hmm. the whole team, they, they wiped through the tournament. Um, just all-stars. Mm -hmm. Just all-stars. I had no chance. What he was talking about earlier was the U-17. Like, they used to run this thing called the U-17 Challenge. Challenge. I don't think yeah. they – do they still do it or not? I, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I don't know if it's called. I don't know if it's called that anymore. But they do a similar tournament. Okay. I can't remember what yeah. it's called. Yeah. We played in it. Um, 
it was out in Regina. So basically each province had their own team, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then the U.S. team would go, and I think, you know, the Swedish team or whatever. Well, one of the Canadian provinces would, like, win it every year, like, yeah. easily. Um, I don't think we – I think we finished, like, fifth, like, behind all of them. So their their pool of players is massive. That's why it's – to Mitch's point, it's like I don't know how it would really work what the U.S. has done um, with the U.S. program. I don't know I how like it would work. They'd almost have to have a national program for each province. Yeah. You know, picture that, Farky, having a national – program for each state you know it's just the guy that i'm disappointed we didn't get to see more of at the world juniors and we saw a little bit and he played well is am i going to say it right medvai mitchkov out of russia um he's got a deal in the khl already he's not even going to come over until like 2023 but he's supposed to be the best russian player we've seen in a number of years and i read a lengthy story about him recently in the athletics sounds like the real deal i'm going to ask the scouts in the room batesy and uh, and straighter have you seen this kid I just saw him on TV, and yeah, I mean, he's that he's twenty twenty three draft eligible, yeah. correct? Yeah. Yep. So I mean, and he looks like the real deal. And what's exciting about that draft year too is is that's Connor Bedard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, as it stands today, I'm I'm quite certain everybody has them one and two, penciled in. Um, it's that is a tough tournament for any player 18 19 years old like straighter can give firsthand experience we talked about it last week his preparation like i am i am so impressed with a with not one but two kids that were able to compete in that and, and play well at the age of 16 it's crazy that is that it is crazy it is nothing short of crazy um yeah I, I, but that kid looks like the real deal connor bedard looks like the real deal um now what's scary for them and you know we we touched on we touched on it a little bit last week, um, but they have a high bar now, right? This the bar bar is really high for them, and you know I think what people need to remember is they're 16 years old. I mean, mm-hmm. like think about where where we each of us were at the age of 16 in our lives. Like you were 195 pounds. Yeah, exactly. I was. Uh, I think I just hit triple digits, but anyways, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things. It's like you, those kids. It's a life that they chose, as Brian said last week. But it's um, there's an expectation now. You know, sometimes you just got to sit back and recognize, hey, like this kid is 16 years old. Let's let's let him grow, mature, develop. Um, not necessarily on the ice, but off the ice as well. They're and, prodigies. You, you wanted to yeah. work out for them because they're prodigies. You know, and. I don't know. Who knows how that affects? I mean, straight. Me and Strader, we've seen so many guys growing up that are absolute mm-hmm. prodigies that don't pan out, right? But sure. um, you know, you hope you hope they they pan out and they have great careers because who knows how that affects them mentally? But they're def they're prodigies. I mean, they're the next great one. You know, mm-hmm. basically coming up in their country. So there's a lot of pressure on these kids. Sure. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. there, there was someone before him, but when I was growing up, I think like Pavel Bure was the first Eastern European player I remember coming over and having a huge buzz and making a huge impact. I mean, there are obviously other Russians, uh, Fedorov. I mean, there's a ton of great ones, but Bure was the guy I remember first. Yeah, he was sensei. He was just he was, he was something. He was something like, special. Watch his first shift in Vancouver. I mean, yep. he didn't score, but he split the D. He he literally circled back inside his own blue picked up the puck and went through the entire i think they're playing winnipeg went through the entire team and like um uh, there's a sports beat writer for vancouver named ian mcintyre and and ian mcintyre dubbed him the russian rocket in like his yes. very first his very first um 
uh, report or game recap, whatever, newspaper article. And and that's how the, the nickname was born. What, what was the Netflix special that came out? I Was it on Netflix? Oh, it was great. What yeah, was great. that? What was that called? It was, uh, it was uh, the Russian Five. Russian Five. The Russian yeah, Five. Yeah, they, I mean, yeah, we phenomenal. can spend a full episode talking about how insane some of those guys are mm-hmm. with their skill and their training and fucking jumping into trees and like mm-hmm. just fucking <laughs> what? All the stuff fuck? Mitchell's been doing in Montana. All that, all that, all that gorilla t- type yeah. warfare. Right. Yeah, that's um, right. That's right. <laughs> OV too was you know yeah. prodigy worthy. I mean, obviously he you know him and Sid kind of overlapped a little bit there when they were coming up, but and Sid was the guy and the prodigy, and obviously he's the model for what you know every what you want Connor Bedard to be or this Mitchkov player to be, right? That's the model. It's like, oh, they're going to be Sidney Crosby. It doesn't always work out that way. Uh, yeah. Not every guy has a career like that, but they should be you know, really great players. They were really fun to watch there for the, the couple of games that I got in. Uh, the one question I got, you know, what do they do with the games that were played? Like Owen Power had, what, the only Canadian hat trick uh, for a defenseman? Like, does that stand or do they just pretend oh, like that right. never happened? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, right. There better not be an asterisk. I'll tell you that <laughs> much. There better not be an asterisk because those games should count towards world junior history, regardless yeah. of you know, whether it, it finished or not. How about the yeah. swag on that kid just chewing gum the whole oh. game? I was like, I was like, is he I chewing know. a piece of gum and just yeah. getting uh, a hat trick? <laughs> what, a, what a boss. I, if, uh, seriously, that is like – that's swagger that I can't even dream My of. God. Right? I love oh, it. God. <laughs> he is the true money guy, right? Like we got Money Mitch on here, but, man, he would put you to shame. Oh, he's, he, he just – he would highs with me. Get out of the way. <laughs> Before we get to Judd Brackett, I did want to bring this question. Um, Last week, John Madden died, right? Football pioneer. And I heard, and I think correctly, that John Madden is more responsible than any other person in history for the popularity of football. When you look at it, how he transcended generations, coach to broadcaster to video game franchise, he is the guy most responsible for football's history. Does hockey have that guy? Does hockey have a figure like that? I don't think that they have a John Madden figure, but I think that there are probably three, four or five guys that, that are in that mold. Um, like, let's be realistic. Like the separation between generations for John Madden is the impact that he had with the, the younger audience because of his video game, right? Like, yep. you know, people aren't talking about John Madden, the coach are talking about Madden 04 and whoever graced the cover. Um, at least that's how I perceive it. But, in hockey, like, like there are a couple names that come to mind: Scotty Bowman, Al Arbor, Glenn Sather is another one. Um, and then even back, like you know, our I mean, if, you're not, if you don't mention Don Cherry, I'm going to fly through the screen and slap. Yeah, uh, Don Cherry definitely has nothing to do with this level of impact. Now, I now I have to completely disregard the first names you mentioned. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's chat. We should have started with this. Don Cherry? Are you kidding me? I, I agree with Mitch. I think Don Cherry is definitely in that conversation. I, I completely just think of players. And for me, obviously, <laughs> Gordy Howe was probably the first one. But for me, um, you know, as, as, as a kid who grew up in Boston, you can't help but see what Bobby Orr had done for that region. Um, and brought such a passion for the sport um, at that time. And, it, and, you know, it kind of trickled down from obviously he comes in and he's this electric talent and he changes the game and he starts winning cups. And then from that generation on, it's like Boston becomes a hockey town and, and every kid 
um, from that point on wants to be a hockey player in the city of Boston because it's passed down from their parents who watch Bobby Orr play. Yeah. I mean, if we're going on the player side, then, you know, for me, Maurice, the Richard brothers and, and Guy Lafleur. I mean, everyone. And then, and then my generation, everyone wanted to play goal. Everyone wanted to be Patrick Waugh. Everyone, you yeah. know, so th- those guys had huge impacts as players. For the record, I, I agree that Don Cherry should be in that. I just wanted to see Mitch's reaction. I do agree with that. I do agree with that. Okay. So I, I would say two things to, to wrap that. I think one of the things that makes Madden so great is that he is one singular figure that is responsible for the sport's almost entire growth. There is no singular figure, I think, in hockey basketball or baseball that does that it's a collection of guys right like the guys you mentioned Wayne Gretzky then you look at uh, Ovechkin and Crosby and McDavid there's a collection of guys that have gotten the sport to its level but there's not one guy that's that's part of what makes Madden so great the other thing is I will say it's a little easier for football to have one guy because it is a solely American sport or a solely North American sport at least like hockey is so global that it's hard to have one guy get a global reach, especially when the world wasn't as global as it is now. So I think that helps Madden be a single defining figure in a way that hockey, baseball, basketball probably can't have. That's a good right, point. Right, right. Yeah, no, you're right. Good, very fair. I think that's very fair. Just yeah. football in general, it's just it's so captivating for North America that there's got to be somebody, right? Like the next yeah. guy will be Tom Brady. We all know that. He already is, right? He captivates – the whole country and and continent and it's going to go on and on and on probably forever mm, i don't oh, know Farky. oh man he didn't love Farky. it you don't think tom Farky. brady is is more of an ambassador to the sport will, will be more an ambassador to the sport than probably john madden uh, no, I don't. That's I don't think that because Tom Brady has said he doesn't want to broadcast. He doesn't want to own a team. Tom Brady wants to go and do the TB12 method. He's going to show up at Hall of Fame functions. I, I understand he's not going to go completely off the grid, but he's not going to be around the sport like John Madden was into his into his late 60s and 70s. How, so, how would you how would you know that, though? Well, he's. The show he's, is today, Strader. This owner, is what he has said. Might so be an owner. Really, might, like, how, how would you know Like what he's going to <laughs> The show is today. Look, I'll tell you I this. We'll put the Elevator 2 podcast on hold, and in 25 years we'll come back and do episode 13, and we'll talk about what Tom Brady's done just, to that point. You just said he's not going to be. The show is today. He has said, I have no interest in being a – Peyton Manning wants no, to be an owner. No, Peyton Manning, John Elway, they have – never came. People, that's hearsay. <clears throat> he's never come on and said that before. Have you been hanging out with Tom Brady and I don't know about no, it? Have you? Do you know I mean, anybody who has? I actually, I actually, I, <laughs> you, you sound I, very sure that he says this. So, well, let's 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 just compare There's people the two. who say this. There's a like, lot of people who say this. What were John Madden's successes as a player? That's my question for you, Farky. It's mm. not that he had successes as a player. No, no, but that's not. Has... No, 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 no. I'm just asking you. What were his successes as a player? He was drafted. He was on an NFL roster. Okay. So, so what are Tom Brady's successes as a player? He is the greatest player of all time. Okay, so so just comparing them at, in two like-minded categories, Tom Brady is more of an ambassador to the game than John Madden was. Easily. If you look at their careers as holes, as it stands today, I agree with you. John Madden is probably more of an ambassador. However, if things continue to build for Brady over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years and so on, 
as like a collective effort, he probably is going to be more of an ambassador than John Madden. And I don't want to take anything away from John Madden. No, I would never. I would never. Yeah. But you, you know, what? you know, it also does it for me, too. Like, just, you know, the other thing with John Madden that like he does have the one up on Brady here is the annexation of Puerto Rico and the success. <laughs> <in Little> Giants. <laughs> that is like true him being Giants. able to confirm that. play, Right. Like, I mean. Did he? I love Brady, but he doesn't have the annexation with Puerto he Rico doesn't. in his he back pocket. Don't ask, no. don't ask me how or why I know this, and I, it, maybe it's false. Did he never fly? He only had an RV? Correct. It, yeah, he yeah, did I not fly. He flew while he was coaching. Once he stopped coaching, okay. he he stopped flying. He flew yeah. because he had to as a coach, and then he developed the Madden Cruiser and did that as a broadcaster. Right. Um, I'll just end it on this. Players generally have a shorter lifespan in the sport if they are only players. Now, no matter how great they are, if they have a shorter life, they have a shorter lifespan in the sport than a guy like John Madden had. John Madden ended up having a 40-year run in the sport through player, coach, broadcaster, video game. Most players are never going to come close to that. Now, if Tom Brady retires in two years, he will have a 26-year run or a 24-year run in the sport, and that will have been amazing. That will not come close to the 40 years that John Madden had. You look at a guy like Gretzky, and I know his executive record hasn't been great and his coaching record wasn't great. You look at Michael Jordan in the same way, but those guys have had second careers that keep them in the sport, promoting the sport forward, and now Gretzky's a broadcaster. So not only is Gretzky the greatest player of all time, he's had this second act that has kept him around to keep promoting the sport in a way that I don't think Tom Brady will ever have. So do you think well, Bill Belichick's in that conversation then? He's been I think 40 plus be years. Yeah. <laughs> 47, Bill straight, Belichick is, 47 straight. Why Why does it matter? Like Once you hit a certain threshold of years, it shouldn't matter anymore. Like If you've been in the sport for 20 years, it's like, wow, look at the impact he had on that 20 years. And now we're getting tangential to the original argument, but <laughs> yeah. here I do love it. The sport is all the sport is where it is because of Madden. Now everybody else we're talking about is maintaining <laughs> the sport and making it grow. Now, now you're now you're going off the rails with that one. No, that it, is all the, the, the rails, Barky. The sport has <laughs> the been sport established. Is, was, is where it is because of Madden. No, let's I get to the interview. The most important let's figure. get to the interview. It's a great yeah, video let's game. Let's get interview. to the interview. It's a great <laughs> video game. It's better than NHL, uh, you know, twelve, Agreed. which I had no luck with. I, so. I definitely agree with that. Oh, All right, let's get to Judd Brackett here. We'll bring Judd, and we already spoke to him. He was great. He'll be the guy that reigns this back in. He is the director of amateur scouting for the Minnesota Wild, and as we tape this, the currently first place Minnesota Wild. So let's get to Judd. The Elevate 02 podcast is brought to you in part by Frank Crum. Frank Crum is a professional employer organization that partners with businesses to assist with human resources, workers' compensation insurance, risk management, employee benefits, and payroll administration. When you partner with Frank Crum, you are increasing your profits, productivity, saving a ton of time, and reducing your liability and cost. They are unique to the PEO industry because they own their own workers' compensation carrier, Frank Winston Crum Insurance, and they work with difficult industries like construction, roofing, plumbing, electricians, and even some trucking. Visit frankcrum.com and tell them Elevate02 sent you. And if you're an insurance agent or broker, visit frankcrum.com to hear how you can offer Frank Crum's PEO services to your clients. 
All right, I want to welcome in our guest now. It's Judd Brackett, the director of amateur scouting for the Minnesota Wild. He used to work with Batesy with the Canucks, so I'm looking forward to some good Batesy stories. But uh, Judd, welcome in first and foremost, and then kind of give us the rest of your career. We know the life of a scout is uh, not linear. You've been a bunch of places and done a bunch of things. Give us the the quick synopsis beyond what you're doing now at the Wild of places you've been. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I kind of cut my teeth in junior hockey, uh, worked a bit with uh, the Gatineau Olympics and the Quebec League. Um, you know, being in, based in Massachusetts, uh, you know, the, the territorial affiliation is the Quebec League. So I worked in Gatineau for a few years and uh, and also uh, very heavily with uh, Indiana Ice and the USHL. So got a lot of experience that way, working with, with young players and seeing their, you know, sort of maturation to college hockey or, or major junior. And, and it led to a, a job with Vancouver where I got to work with Batesy. And, <laughs> pleasure. Uh, you had, you uh, had the pleasure. You had the pleasure uh, of working uh, with me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but there for what, 12 years. Um, and then uh, just moved on to Minnesota the last two. As the director of amateur scouting, do you do a lot of traveling yourself, or is are, are you centrally based and getting reports from other scouts in the organization? I'm on the move, uh, you know, every every week. Um, you know, home base, like I said, is Massachusetts. So once in a while, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be at home and seeing some college games or prep games once the high school season starts. But uh, for the most part, I'm I'm on a plane and and where the players are. Just give the give the. The listeners a rough idea of how many nights a year you average in a Marriott hotel, <laughs> your points balance, your frequent flyer <laughs> accounts. Like, like, give us the quick rundown because the life of a direct, the director of an amateur scouting staff is uh, is no light light travel uh, uh, work. Yeah, I got my my recent Marriott statement where I'm now a lifetime platinum elite. <laughs> Welcome to the club, buddy. It's good to yeah. have you. I'm pretty sure that's ten consecutive years of like like 100 to 125 nights. So it's uh, life on the road, and and you know there's not many Marriotts over in Europe, so that doesn't include some of that travel as well. <laughs> That's insane. That's insane. I always like the amateur side. I always talk to Batesy about it. I'm just like, I just can't, you know, I'm lucky I'm doing the Northeast for us and the pro game, obviously. And it's like, that's a lot to me. I can't even imagine director of amateur scouting. You have to run over to Europe, you know, a million times and and you're just, your, your, your arms reach so much further than probably anybody else in the organization, I'd imagine. Yeah, and it's it's why you have to have you know good people too, right? They have to help identify players in the area and and you know and direct you. There's nothing worse than taking a trip in uh, and seeing players that maybe you you think are are below the level or there's not much interest in. So you got to have good scouts in the area that uh, you know that help your travel too. It's really critical. Judd, you said you scouted for you started with the Gatineau Olympics, uh, Olympic to get to know. Yeah, is that what? What was the uh, – that's right, I got a little Francais in me. What's the uh, – what was that dynamic like? Obviously, you're in Boston. You're tussling with all the colleges and assistant coaches that are recruiting kids to go to college, and then you're you're giving the parents a different pitch. Was it kind of tricky to navigate a little bit? A hundred percent. And, I, yeah. you know, I was a college guy myself. Um, so, you know, I really tried to stay out of being a recruiter, uh, more of a, a player evaluator. Um, and left it more to at the time Benoit grew was coaching there and left it more to the, you know, if they wanted to, to really explore a player and see if it, you know, if that was the path they wanted to take, I left that more to the management 
in Gatineau and, and, you know, at this point was really just evaluating players, giving them a list, say this is, you know, you know, maybe this is the cutoff in New England. There's, you know, four or five players that are really worth exploring if you want to have an impact player. You know, they, they approached in the way of it being almost an import, right? Right. Uh, Right. They, they, they weren't really heavily recruiting, but at the time Claude Giroux was there and, and uh, Paul Byron. So a good team that ended up winning, winning the, the president's cup there and, and went on to the Memorial cup. So had some guys gone up, they, they might've enjoyed the experience. Was there a certain Brian Maine there as well? Do you remember that name? Oh, Mainer. I forgot about Mainer. I don't, I don't ah. know. Oh, all right. Well, he's grew up in my hometown. Anyways, little plug in there. There you go. I, uh, rugged right shot D. Rugged. How do you, how do you, I, I mean, to dive deeper into the question, how do you sell the Quebec League and kids potentially not really going to school to yeah. American kids? In the language, I mean, language barrier too, it's for some. And I mean, it was, it was a hard sell to get for Gatineau. In fact, yeah. I was in Gatineau on Friday. Uh, first time in the new arena. I, I certainly wish that we had had that back in the day. That would have been a nice recruiting tool. What a beautiful building. Oh, nice. Cool. Interesting. So, so Judd, so you're, you're starting to watch players as young as 14, 15, 16. Like, talk about that kind of scouting process and, and how that leads into your job, you know, evaluating talent for the amateur draft every June. I thought, you know, for even, even now, I still enjoy watching some of the young players, not, not, in the sense of you're trying to make a decision on them, but it gives you their trajectory, right? You start seeing them at 14, 15. That way, you know, when when it's their draft year, 17, 18, you have a sense, are they trending up still? Where have they made major improvements? You know, were they, you know, were they an early grower and dependent on size at 14 and 15? Um, I, I think it's really, you know, pretty telling when you see a long trajectory of a player starting at age 14, 15, and, you know, and straighter, like for you, like as they keep on coming, you, you, you know, are they are they still coming up? Are they starting to find their level? So mm-hmm. um, it's not that you're trying to make a hard decision on a 14 or 50 year old, but it gives you a sense of, you know, their baseline skill level and and, and where they're still coming. Um, are, they, are they, you know, has skating improved? Is it just strength related? So uh, I, I think it's really important to see players early. That actually brings me to a pretty good question here. Like, is there one guy you remember from the past that maybe you saw him at 14, 15 or whatever, and then his draft year, like the the acceleration of development was just off the charts um, from, you know, that young teenage stage to his his draft year? Well, I mean, Bates certainly peaked early. But, uh... <laughs> Dude, I was going to jump in and say, uh, and, and basically we're talking about Brian Strait here, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Beat me to it, Judd. Uh, well, I'll try. I'll stay away from, you know, other teams prospects. But uh, yeah, there's always like to name names, but there's always guys I think it's, you have to be really careful of that are sort of the can't miss, you know, four star uh, player coming in that maybe, you know, they might have been the MVP of Pee Wee Quebec. But uh, when it was time, you know, to go to college or, or play major junior, maybe at that point that, you know, they had already sort of peaked. Um, I think you see it every year. You have to be careful of it. Sure. There's always really high profile players that have been kind of tabbed early and, and, you know, maybe don't follow through on the development side. It's not, maybe it might not be their fault. They may have just grown early physically or uh, had other advantages, you know, early on that other kids caught up to. When you're scouting kids that young, are you looking more at physical skill set or are you looking for some intangible qualities? Are you looking for some traits that a guy might have mentally? 
Uh, I mean, certainly, certainly physical skills, but hockey sense is, is always critical. I don't think there's any, any substitute for hockey sense. So, you know, you want to see that at any age, um, any age that they're playing some recognition, understanding of positioning, reading off others. So I think hockey sense is, is critical no matter, no matter the age, you know, when we're talking teenagers going into high school. Can you give our listeners a sense of, and I know Batesy and Strader have, have dove, dived into this, dove into this a few times, uh, just some of those uh, interview questions that you would ask the kids during their draft, uh, pre-draft meetings. I think the listeners like those. Can you give it just a few examples of some questions you would ask those kids in those meetings, which are pretty daunting meetings. You're sitting there in front of the entire staff and the GM. The only time they've ever seen these jams and some of the guys on the staff uh, obviously uh, have some legendary playing careers. So it's daunting for a young kid to come in there. So it's pretty impressive the way some of the, some of them handle themselves. So can you can you give a few examples of some questions that you guys would ask, even some funny ones, even if you if you don't mind? Yeah, no question. Um, and it's it, and to your point, it is. I can't even imagine the the stress. You got seven yeah. or eight guys in a in a small little you know conference room that are hovering over you. They're you know they're watching your body language. Are you making eye contact? Which guy am I supposed to be looking at? It's you know it, it's it's definitely stressful for these kids. Uh, yeah. You know we don't we we really don't try to stump them or trip them up. Uh, you know we let them speak and and try to find a, a nugget or two. You know it's generally 15, 20 minutes at the combine. So um, you know an area for me I always like to sort of explore is you know any 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 hardship or something they've been through i like to see adversity um you know a lot of these guys have always been the best player on their team right right so, so it's it's you know it's sort of the the shortstop pitcher scenario of baseball right like every every best kid was a shortstop batted forth and 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 pitched so you know a lot of times we get these guys in a room and they've they've always been the best player they've always been on the power play so either we saw something during the year that maybe triggers a question when they were, you know, going through, you know, maybe not getting power play time or a low shooting percentage or, but we love to, and, and certainly outside life too. What have you been through? You know, what, what are your, what are the challenges that you or your family have experienced and what'd you take with it? Cause those are the, you know, that resiliency is going to follow you to the next level. Mm-hmm. Is it mostly all hockey? Because at the NFL combine, they ask questions like, uh, if you were an animal, what would you be? Like just random things like that. So do you, yeah. do you stick just to hockey or do you go into that weirdness too? I don't personally, but uh, <laughs> you know, we, we certainly have some some questions, you know, like who's your childhood hero? It can be a cartoon, you know, like, so we try to get, you know, and it, it, it's an icebreaker too, right? It, it gets kids, you know, if you get a question they haven't heard before, they tend to relax a little bit, right? <laughs> Especially if it's a an easier one they get a lot of the same questions they're 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 certainly well prepared these days too so i'm sure a lot of stock answers you get judd i want to go back to just kind of like the life cycle almost of evaluating a player going through you know the checks and balances that are gonna essentially allow you to make your decision and then what happens after the player is drafted right because it's not just hey this is the best player available it's time to draft him and it's, hey, you need to work with your staff to develop him and, and build him into an NHL player. So just kind of talk about that that relationship process amongst your staff and how important it is. It's hugely important. I mean, I mean as you know, I mean, you got to have everybody pulling on the same rope, right? Whether it's amateur to development, to, you know, that information has to flow very, very fluidly. Um, and I can say, you know, it, with, in my time in Vancouver and in, in even as recently in Minnesota, the, the relationship with development is great. We get you hear 
day to day on 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 the feedback of the players that you thought had potential in a certain area. So are, are they hitting that mark? Why aren't they or why are they? So we can make adjustments too. It makes us better as a group. Um, you know, I, I can tell you, you know, uh, in Vancouver, Scotty Walker was one of the player development guys. And it's funny, like I used to occasionally, I'd be like, what if we draft this guy, what would Scott Walker say after the first time he met him? Like, I don't want that phone call of, you know, Hey, you thought this guy could do this and there's no chance, you know, so it, it, it does channel your, it makes, you know, you get a little bit more of a focus and can this guy be a part of our group? Are, is he, is his, you know, is, are his abilities going to be accelerated working with our, with our staff? Um, is it going to be challenging for our staff, right? We, we, we don't want to put them in a position where it's someone will maybe of low character or low compete that, you know, that has to be pushed all the time. Like that's, that, you know, then and that's taking energy away from other guys too. So it's, it, it has to be like a, a totally symbiotic uh, re- relationship and, you know, it's as, as soon as the draft ends, those players are literally handed over to development and, 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 you know, that, but us getting feedback on them is hugely important. Wax's feedback would certainly be R rated too. Uh, 100%. <laughs> Just to dive deeper into that too. When, when there are screw ups there, what are those combos like? Cause oh, I, I, I'm just thinking from, as you were talking there, when I got drafted, I was a fourth round pick. I stepped on the ice with our first round pick who was Lucas Kaspar in San Jose. And I knew instantly I was better than him. There must've been a conversation amongst scouts and the GM saying, what the fuck? <laughs> Why did we draft this first round pick? You know, because obviously there was a plethora of players that were drafted ahead of me in the fourth round that were way better than me. But for some reason, our first rounder that year, I knew right away. Mitch, they were saying that about the kid that went right right before you and Ryan Callahan. They're like, whoa, wow. Or right after you, excuse me. Why didn't we take Ryan Callahan? <laughs> let, let me have my moment here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and those are those are tough conversations and certainly ones you don't want to have. I mean, in your scenario, the best news is that, you know, it's two players within the organization. And so you still had a good hit in the fourth right. round. There's right, your club. right, right, right. But, but honestly, and, and as far as uh, from our end, though, amateur, they were good when we drafted them. I don't know what development did with them. <laughs> yeah, right. I like that. My job is done. Wash my hands. I don't know. I don't know. You guys say he can't skate. He was fine when he was in junior. <laughs> it must be. It must be your program. Yeah. No, but in serious, all seriousness, it's in. And listen, it's hard. Like guys are playing it in different leagues, different levels. The cross evaluation is probably the hardest part of mm-hmm. of of scouting, right? I don't think when you're in the rink, you know, the tangible evaluation of skills probably isn't that widely, you know. Uh, different team to team it's sort of the integration of the information right how to how do we dissect uh, you know a player playing minnesota high school versus a guy playing in liga in finland so that's that's the you know the biggest challenge and and you know and that's what leads to some changes in projection so um you know i think it's a matter of having really good communication trying to to try to eliminate some of the pitfalls and and minimize some risk when you're drafting you know, I want to ask you something about high school hockey because you just triggered it to me. In the U.S., are kids who have aspirations to play at the really high level, are they ever playing high school hockey? Because at my high school, anybody who was any good at hockey left at 15 and was in some prep school somewhere or playing juniors in Kansas or something. Do kids in America come out of high school hockey or do they all have to leave essentially? 
I think Minnesota is probably the one the one state right now that ha- still has really prominent high school hockey where players even choose to stay there, even if they get offers from the national team, um, yeah. USHL team. Some do split season, you know, first half in the USHL, second half in the USHL. But there's a there's a draw to be um, to to play for your high school, to play in front of your friends that you, your peers that you go to school with. Um, and you tend to see a lot of the players not leave Minnesota high school until they've won a state championship. That's, that's truly the, the drive. Yeah. Uh, but elsewhere, you know, it, it's a lot of prep school, junior hockey. Uh, I think the one, the one spot that is still very prominent public high school where you live, play for your hometown is, is in Minnesota. Judd, I want to, I want to jump back to you personally in your career. You, you have a, you've had a very unique ability to continue to work your way up. Obviously you've worked major junior and then into the USHL and then right into the NHL go from, you know, regional guy to head of the entire department. Um, what advice would you give a young person that maybe wants to get into scouting and wants to learn the trade? I mean, I think, you know, coming about it honestly is the, is the best way, right? Just let, let your work speak for itself. Don't be, you know, don't, don't be afraid to uh, speak about players when you have a chance in meeting uh, don't just you know go along with sort of the group think. Um, so you know you got to have some conviction in your own thought, and it takes a while though. Like you, you need to see some of the progressions, you need to see some of the successes and failures to understand. Okay, now this is starting to shape my way of looking at players. You know, it's not going to happen in year one or year two. You got to go out and kind of just start cataloging players, and you know, and you might have a gut feel on them, but until you start to see the the actual progressions and you know, there's a, there's, I mean, just take the U S alone, you know, alone, right. You get, you're watching a player in high school, like think of the amount of hurdles he has in front of him to get to where he wants to be. You know, it's some of these guys are going to take a year in the USHL. So they have to have success there. Then they have to go to college, have success there. Then, you know, into the American hockey league, these are, these are really good levels of hockey. So, you know, there's more and more hurdles that you have to get over in order to get there. So, you know, it can't just be, your skating ability you got to dig a little bit deeper you got to figure out who's got some internal drive and and that fire that's going to play when they're sick tired you know they're going to start playing 80 games being on a bus playing three and three there's a lot of you know it, that's why that's why we look for that resiliency factor because it's just it you know just being good at hockey when you put the skates on and going out and scoring some goals at, at, at your current level is not going to equate to being a pro Strader had uh, had talked a little bit about uh, creativity and you're seeing all the Michigan goals and uh, what the kids are doing with the skill sets right now. Hey, oh, hey, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so Strader had talked about, hey, get that fucking dog. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, that's awesome. That'll be the best take of this whole video. I guarantee. That'll be great. I will. Um, uh, Strader, we, we, we talked about a little bit about just that creativity and what you're seeing the kids doing. It's not just in the NHL. It's all over, you know, the Instagram highlights and every league, every age group, it seems like. What's your take on that now? It's so the kids are so creative. It's incredible. Do you love it or is it uh, too risky at times? I mean, it's, it's the, the level of skill everywhere is incredible. Like it's, you see it everywhere. I mean, everyone can handle the puck now. Um, It's crazy. Like the 
TikTok and YouTube. And, you know, so they're, they're, they're being exposed to it. They see it, you know, it seems challenging. They're out in the backyard doing it. I, I mean, I have your, your son's doing it, Judd. You, I've seen videos of Deacon doing uh, this. It's insane. A hundred percent. And like, you know, we watched McDavid's, uh, video on uh the other night and he's like i want to do all those you know get on the ice and with you know with all the the bumpers and and, and pylons he's like i want like it, it they see it as a challenge they see it as a reward if they can do it and it's translating onto the ice because there's you know offenses and speed and skill is being encouraged right now so um you know to what level you know we need pucks you know sort of above the waist and at your shoulders <laughs> and you know lacrosse i mean it's it's incredible i mean my my oldest boy is a goalie and i don't envy what's going on behind the net right now like with mm-hmm. with the lacrosse goals that you know that's gonna it's gonna require adjustments from goals you can't just be down and exposed in the upper portions so you're gonna have to start moving side to side and staying up and keeping your shoulders in the in the in the corners so it, it's it's a good yin and yang in terms of uh, you know what the what the reaction to it will be, but uh, I don't think it's going away. We've talked a lot about people's paths to where they've gotten, and Batesy talked about kind of the struggle to find your niche as a guy who didn't play. We had Megan Duggan on who talked about someone who was trying to find her niche not having played men's hockey. You played Division Three hockey predominantly in your career. Did you find it tough to enter this world at this high level, considering you hadn't played at that high level, or was it you know you just entered a good situation when it was kind of seamless for you? I knocked on a lot of doors. It took uh, it took a lot of time. There was no uh, you know I didn't have any you know immediate connection to someone in a post playing career that could maybe open a door for me. So it it took some time. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily that the level that you played at, I think it's more, you know, the, the contacts you have, who, you know, who can, you know, and, and like anything, you know, you need, you need opportunity. You need some luck. Um, there might just not be a job opening in, in, you know, in new England um, right at the time while you're looking. So that's where, you know, if you, if you're determined to do it, you, you find a job in the Quebec league or the USHL and, and keep on knocking. I always think about the guys who go over to Europe quite a bit and they all have, some great stories about, you know, travel going wrong or just Judd's got none of those. Judd doesn't have any of those. <laughs> Everything goes perfect for him. Just awesome stories about going over Europe and scouting and then maybe getting caught in the middle of nowhere, Slovakia, where no one speaks English. And, and do you have anything for us on that front? Because I always enjoy those. Listen yeah. to our, our uh, European <laughs> guys that are going from over here and they're like, oh, my God, you should have seen what happened to me over in Switzerland or whatnot. I had I had a good one a couple like probably four or five years ago um, in the spring uh, the World Championships. Um, I was headed over originally to the B pool in Slovenia. Never been to Slovenia, but it was in the tournaments in Bled. Which if you pull it up, it probably shows up on your computer anyway as like a screensaver. It's like <laughs> this beautiful lake with like this little like island and 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 there's hotels everywhere. I'm like ah. Oh, this is great. I'm going to go, go here for a couple of days, watch spring break. <laughs> There's only really like one or two players in the tournament that were interested in seeing. So get on my first flight through Paris, big mistake, huge airport always seems something goes wrong. Like I, I try to avoid the bigger airports when possible, but get there, miss my connection nine hour delay in Paris. So there's only like one or two flights to Ljubljana. So the nine-hour delay, missed both games, 
the, for the first day in Slovenia. <laughs> get there. Shockingly, my bag isn't there. <laughs> get to the get to the get to the hotel. I'm like, all right, I'm in. I'm going. I, like, and I and off time change everything. I'm like, I'm I'm gassed. I'm going to sleep. Hopefully, my bag will be here in the morning. No, no bag. Run down the street. Grab the essentials. Take a shower, go to the game, and of course, like I'm in jean, I'm in you know travel gear. Like I'm not, I'm not dressed like appropriately for <laughs> to go to go scouting. Watch the second day of games, and the next day I'm flying to Vienna because the 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 top pool tournament was in Poprad that year. No bag. Get on the flight. Go to Vienna. I'm still just with a backpack, same clothes that I traveled with. <laughs> I started getting the phone calls like, oh, your bag, you know, originally was in Paris for the first day. Now it's in Ljubljana. I'm not in Ljubljana anymore. Like, where are you? I'm like, well, I flew to Vienna and then I drove to Slovakia. I got my bag. Long story short, I got my bag at at the Vienna airport my last day on the way back to Boston. (laughs) (laughs) Finally could change your clothes, huh? Uh, Take a shower, get some I literally brought my clothes back. My wife said, why are you putting it back on like in your drawers? I'm like, I didn't have my bag the entire trip. <laughs> like meet, like, like, like meet the parents. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Your awful. airline sucks at checking bags. Yes. Oh, God. I love it. Mitch has our whole travel itinerary booked for 2022. He wants us all over the country <laughs> doing live shows. I am told that as part of that travel itinerary, we need to end up in Cape Cod because you've got a couple of restaurants we need to be at Ooh, live. Nice. So pl- plug the food outfit and can we get a uh, an Elevato 2 sandwich named after us? There? <laughs> hold on, Parky. Let me hold on. Hold on. Let me jump in real quick about Judd's restaurants, okay? first or second year scouting you know judd and i are becoming buddies and stuff he's like oh you know we my, my brother and i have this great spot and we're opening a, a little pizza joint too i'm like okay awesome i like pizza now i'm i'm from new york originally so I'm, a pizza joint in new york is like you know you walk up there's six or eight ready-made pies they they throw a slice in the in the oven five minutes later you're eating it first time i go to judd's little pizza joint it's you know like indoor outdoor bar huge fire pit i'm like jesus like i am not dressed for this place so (laughs) when he starts talking about this little pizza joint don't be fooled all right it's pretty upscale (laughs) wood wood fired pizza uh actually coal fired oh very cape cod cape cods only um but uh so yeah my brother and i got into the restaurant my parents had a restaurant in the same town hometown that we grew up in and have two there now uh Ember coal fire pizza and wings and uh, and the port um, two sort of different scales of restaurants. We opened the port 18 years ago, wow. sort of a uh, higher end uh, martini wine bar, steak, seafood. Um, that, that's a seasonal out seasonal outfit. Um, Mitchie, that's Mitchie's kind of place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sophisticated enough for that place. I need that's to be tally. That's my palate right there. Yeah, <laughs> oyster guy. Uh, getting into them. All right, into we, do, them. We, yeah. do, we do a, yeah. we do a two hour dollar oyster happy hour every day, which is wow. uh, really well received. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, <laughs> and then, and they're walking distance. They're, you know, a hundred, 200 yards apart. And then down the street, we have, uh, Amber, which is, uh, 
like Batesy said, outdoor bar, fire pit, you know, big lawn area out there. I I, I, I envision this show right there out in the patio. Oh, um, keep going, keep going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep going. Yeah, and we can we can we can make the sandwiches there and then name it after you on on site. So oh, get you I guys love back it. in the kitchen. You Perfect. guys, you guys can perform. Are there yeah, any uh, are there any golf courses nearby? Because Mitch supposedly shot a ninety four at St Andrews, which he was not talking to us about. I mean, I, a drunk ninety four. <laughs> my game, my game needs some help, but I had some better rounds in Scotland. Farky, fuck off. What? <laughs> ninety four. I thought ninety four was the good was the best score for you. Maybe uh, no, it was eighty four. Eighty-four. Oh well. That, oh wait, no, that was the combination one. But yeah, the one with the you, you and the you and your you, caddy, drunk you and the caddy. Chad, that eighty-four was at Mirfield. Ever hear of it? Not a big. Okay, thirteen Not British Opens. Job. All right. Oh, I love it. All right. I love it. I thought Judd was gonna tell was gonna tell the story about me and him on our way to the oh, our first our round first meeting. meeting. Oh my god, I I, I passed that restaurant. Like almost every week in Toronto, and and giggle to myself. This is Bates and I were. I mean, we're twenty four. I was like twenty eight. Yeah. Like twenty. Like yeah. we're both young, just started. No idea what we're doing. No idea, <laughs> and we're like going out January, going to mid year meetings in Vancouver. I haven't met table. anybody. We only know each other. Yeah, like phone calls wow. and texts is like all you get, and emails. So haven't met anyone. So like we're like glue, like just sticking together, but. Same flight out. We stop in Toronto for our for our layover, and we're, I don't know. We 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 didn't have that much time, but we decided we we're gonna sit down yeah. and have a meal. And have a meal. <laughs> we're just sitting there shooting the breeze, and I'm like, "Did you just hear your name?" <laughs> He's like, "I think I think so." They're like, uh, "Like final boarding, paging bracket, Bates for flight <laughs> like nine seven one to Vancouver." We're like. We're like- Oh, like we, I think we just left money on the table and ran. But I mean, can you imagine had we missed oh. that? Like the first impression, like we were, right. We got on the plane, dying laughing once we got on. But if, like there was like a good, good three four minute of oh. sheer panic. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, I think that's a good spot to end on here. I'm already excited for summer of 22 for Mitchell's travel plans for yeah. us and uh, ending up at Judd's little restaurants, air quotes, which are yeah, you know, fine dining right there on the on the Cape uh, so what, Cod waterfront. What do we have now? We have the Cape. We have Las Vegas, Tampa. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be incredible. This tour Raleigh, we're doing. Raleigh, Raleigh. My goodness. Um, Mitch wants us in Montreal at some point for the hometown tour. Yeah, really. Uh. We're going everywhere. We'll go to Sheila. Sheila will make us a good dinner, though. That'd be fun. <laughs> you better believe it. Elevate, <laughs> elevate. We'll call it Elevate O Two on the road. So I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking we'll, forward to it. Sparky, we'll work on that name. All right. Okay. Well. <laughs> You know, no one said I was the creative genius in this outfit. I just, you know, I just kind of play center and navigate you guys to score goals. I'm not here to be creative. So, oh my God. Oh God. Judd, the director, amateur scouting, Minnesota Wild, who are very much on the come up. The Wild blogs were very, very happy about your hiring a couple of years ago, and they continue to be uh, pumping your tires because I did the old research on the old interwebs before this. So they're they're loving you up there. So, Judd, we appreciate you, and uh, we will see you at your restaurant in about six months. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. The Elevate02 podcast is brought to you in part by Parkview Air Medical. Parkview Air Medical provides professional medical escorts consisting of fully certified ACLS trained paramedics, registered nurses, and physicians. 
These escorts accompany your patient, your family member, your friends on major commercial airlines. These transports can also be done via train and cruise ships. For those who can't fly, they will assist you in making sure that the journey is safe and stress-free. They'll coordinate the transportation needs to and from the airport, along with wheelchairs, seat-to-seat transfers, and baggage assistance. They will ensure a smooth bedside-to-bedside transition. You can learn more about Parkview Air Medical online at parkviewairmedical.com. They've got a huge medical staff pool. They're able to meet those last-minute requests, and they can have an escort with you or your patient or family member in just a matter of hours, and they have access to visa procurement services also. It's Parkview Air Medical online at parkviewairmedical.com. All right, Judd was awesome. I definitely want to hit up his restaurants. Mitch, I resent you saying fuck off to me, so I don't appreciate that. Um, But I do want to find us on Cape Cod, but you guys can go to the nice seafood place. I'll go to the pizza place. I'm not I'm not classy no, enough no. for seafood. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. We can do both, guys. The we elevator can do both. Right across gonna the take care of you, Lord Farquaad. Don't worry. We're gonna so, go on the tour. We're gonna get some good food in your system. Don't worry. So I'm not, we I'm so not kidding enough. aside, they've got he he's got a great like at one of the spots he's got a um a small back parking lot and they had a, a covered tent and there's like live music and then at the the um, the pizza joint, he's got a huge outdoor fire pit with an outdoor mm. bar and stuff. Like, it would be a lot of fun, man. It'd be a lot. I of just fun. like I just like visiting guys and hanging out with them when I know they're gonna chirp Batesy. I I'm like <laughs> I am all in. I will drop everything to spend time with this guy just so I can get some dirt on ba- more dirt on Batesy. I love it. Yeah. So, that trip where you had he was wearing the same clothes for like a week plus because his his luggage kept getting lost. That was a nuts travel story. That apparently only pales in comparison to what he has just been through. We taped this before the World Junior Tournament got postponed. Batesy, you have his itinerary from what it was like getting to Alberta and then having to leave Alberta. <laughs> oh, dude. Let's hear this. I, I, like, so, yeah, we're I, catching up with him after amid all the, the COVID cancellations and everything. And he just said... Uh, he just basically said what a nightmare it's been start to finish. And so I was like, all right, like, you know, paint the picture for me. So keep in mind, he lives in Boston. Originally scheduled on 6.20 a.m. flight out of Boston yesterday, arriving at Edmonton around noon in time to see games. COVID test results did not come back by close of the business day on Monday. So I was forced to reschedule my departure time. I changed my departure time to 2.20 on t- Tuesday. Woke up Tuesday to my connecting flight from Toronto and Edmonton being canceled. Results come back negative. I leave for Toronto at 2.20. My connection is delayed until 9 p.m. I get notified that the U.S. game is canceled. I said, okay, I sleep it off. Uh, I'll just plan on seeing Czechoslovakia, or excuse me, uh, Czechia and uh, Finland uh, the following day. And I get noticed that that game is canceled. So I said, okay, I'm going to reroute to Red Deer for the Slovakia-Russia game. <laughs> I start driving on the way to the Slovakia-Russia game in Red Deer, which is probably about a two-hour drive. And um, the call comes in on the way that that game has been canceled. So I said, all right, whatever. Got to figure this out. He's like, I stopped for lunch at Boston Pizza. I order a slice. And then I get the news that the entire tournament is canceled. (laughs) So I drive, I, I turn around, I drive back, drop the rental car off check out of my hotel now i'm dry i decide to drive to swift current which is about a seven hour drive from edmonton um to see edmonton at swift current current uh 
It's been uh, at this point, it's been roughly 30 hours since I left my home in Boston. I haven't seen a hockey game yet. Fast (laughs) fast forward, fast forward. He gets almost a swift current only to find out that that game is canceled. And then he starts starts driving, turns around or starts driving to Saskatoon for Prince Albert in Saskatoon. And um, (laughs) he's like, I don't even know. I don't even know what to do. He's like, uh, I haven't heard back from him if that game went through. But um, he also said, he's like, to make matters worse, I I need to find a place to buy a toothbrush because I left (laughs) it in the by the sink in my hotel in Edmonton. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a nightmare! I don't know. Straighter, is that not the life of a scout right there, though? I don't know, man. I I wouldn't have made it that far. I would have quit far before (laughs) that. I would be like, not not my weekend, not my week. I'm out of here. That's that's why we taped the uh, Wilder in first place. That kind of dedication. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't do amateur scouting. (laughs) Those guys, man. It, they really they put in the effort it's unbelievable i mean, oh, I mean un- just just that area too getting out there at this time of year oh oh with the snow the, and the, the prairies. oh you're just yeah, you're wind. just by yourself and your car breaks yeah. down you're in big fucking trouble oh man god <laughs> big trouble you know? well, the other thing too mitch like like there are play there are signs on the road it's like last gas station for like you know 75 kilometers or something crazy you know like you need to like actually plan and there's like extended periods of dead zones where you don't have cell reception that kind of thing it's oh god it it is not not a friendly place to be out during the winter that's for sure Mm -mm. no no so hopefully he got wherever i haven't heard back from in a few days but hopefully he got wherever he was going exactly (laughs) (laughs) poor guy (laughs) oh gosh unreal Unreal. what an interview yeah, it was a great interview. Batesy did not want us to end today without talking about the art of the game report. So we want to wrap up here soon, but you were so fascinated to tell us about game reports and all that. So give us the uh, the skinny on on a scout who's watching a game, what exactly they're looking for and what they're writing up and sending up to the superiors. Uh, you know, we could spend, spend a while on it, but um, just real high level. The game report is so important um, because essentially what you're doing is you're articulating what you saw, um, you know, on the ice during the game you know you want to talk about the the major criteria within your um you know your scouting criteria like you know how well does this kid skate what are his strengths weaknesses there his skill set what type of player is he um what did you see over the course of the game that validated your original thoughts or what was your initial perspective or opinion of him um where do you see him today um you know do you know anything about his history how he's developed in the last one two three years and, and what, about you sorry to cut you off. What, yeah. what about just like simple it says like skating do you do you sure. market one to five uh stick handling one to five like give kind of a breakdown yeah every uh, yeah no it's a great question everyone every team has their own criteria right their own their own basic scouting rubric um you know what we did in vancouver is different from what you know straighter does in new jersey and so on and so forth um so you kind of look at that um some teams go some teams go off of a numerical system um we did typically one through four um why four um, you're forced to make a decision, right? One through five, one through 10, there's an, there's a midpoint, um, which I think is great, uh, to not have a midpoint, right. Um, mm-hmm. to, to make a decision, you know, between a two and a three or, you know, one through four, that kind of thing. And was um, one, one's the best or four one, the best? One, one was high level four. you know, I looked at it as, um, kind of like incremental, um, increases, right? Like, um, if you are a one in, in a game or in one of those 
um, components, you are, you know, upper 75 percent of uh, of of your your peers. Right. Um, you're in the top 75 percent, top one percent, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then, you know, break it down from there. Uh, and then four four is is below average. You don't necessarily need to say, hey, like you're you know, you're not good at this, but you need to get better at it for it's important to like remember that that a, a below average ranking isn't always a bad thing you know right and were there guys like you'd watch them play and they'd be almost all fours across the board but they're still in the nhl is that possible uh no? it, eh, that that was that was rare um, okay. rare and yeah. and again like i think because you have to have one separating quality you know like mm-hmm. one we talked about this on a previous episode like your mitch your your, your separating yeah, yeah. skill was was skating right you're a great skater um so i think that that was that's important um and we can get more into that as as time goes on but that's essentially like the high level description of what uh what we would talk about and you know it wasn't anything earth shattering you weren't writing a book it was five to eight sentences, um, just a little bit of detail on, on, you know, what you saw and, and how you see this kid projecting down the road. Straight um, air, does it happen where you just sit there and you put the, put the scouting paper away and you're like, this kid, I mean, that's Sidney Crosby. <laughs> I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to grade, I'm not going to grade this kid. He, he's generational you know, talent. The, typically the, I mean, you know, I do pro. So typically like those types of guys, if they have a great game, you'll write on them, right? Everyone knows the player. Everyone knows where, or if, you know, say they, they have just logged 10, 15 games, even though he was a great player for quite a while, 10, 15 games. And you're like, wow, this guy is not the same player that he mm. was, you know, the last couple of years, you gotta, you gotta put that down so that everyone kind of knows where his game is trending and may, you know, so-and-so <clears throat> is looking a little bit like age is catching up at this point. Um, but typically, you know, when it comes to the guy like Sid, it's like, if he has a, crazy game like well he was amazing tonight and just i don't know i i love writing on those players because it's just like you're just in awe of what they can do but um you know is it super helpful most likely not unless you're kind of reporting on like i said if it's a you know 38 year old guy um towards the end of the rope and it's like uh, the skills are starting to starting to get dull here I, I can't think I imagine one. the, the scattering reports on uh, Parisian Suter at the end there were, you know, <laughs> like they were when he was 25, well, you know, like they were when he was 25. I, I, Mitch, like the funny, like Parisi's first year in Minnesota, like, you were there. Um, the the yep. funniest the funniest game report I read on him was uh, from a guy that we work with, and it was like a couple months in, and he had, and Parisi had a good game, but it said <clears> – uh, uh, the Minnesota Wild fans think that he can walk on Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> that, that's literally what it said. It was hilarious because he was treated as such a god. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we could we can spend spend a while talking about the, the game report and the art of it. But I think the important takeaway is is for you to articulate what you saw in the game, mm-hmm. how it relates to to your team specifically, and um, and how it relates to projections down the road. Um, yeah you know, in comparison to other kids uh, of that age group or other NHL teams, depending on what level of scouting you're in. Yeah. And in pro scouting too, probably a little bit more than amateur, like the last piece of information you just gave us there, Batesy, of how it relates to your team and making your team better. Because in pro scouting, you're looking for guys to instantly make your team better, right? Um, That can make an instant impact. So amateur is a little bit different. There's a lot of projections. There's a lot of, let's just take the best available here and see how it works out because they're 18 years old and no one has any clue really. Um, but in pro scouting, it's a lot of, you would like to write something about, I like this player and this is why 
he fits what we need right now. Yeah. Remember to, to Brian's point, remember pro scouting is what can you do for me today? Amateur scouting is what can you do for me tomorrow? Mm. I think that is a profound quote to end on. So a, uh, another great episode in the books reminder, you can find us everywhere. Elevate O2, the original on Instagram, Elevate O2 podcast on Instagram. Elevate O2 is on TikTok. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter. So follow us everywhere. We've got that brand spanking new email address. Podcast at Elevato2.com. Podcast at Elevato2.com. We got a great review recently from a guy, John, who said that he's an avid watcher and listener, enjoys all the uh, high-level conversation, and he's learned a lot. So that could be you. Just keep following and subscribing and liking us, rate, review, all the above. So we'll see you in episode number 13. Hard to believe. Episode number 13 is coming up next. So for Strader, Batesy, I'm Lord Farquad Farkey. Money Mitch, end us out. <laughs> Boom.